Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me for another episode today is Dr. Libby Backfish, Assistant Professor of Bible and Theology at William Jessup University, and we're delighted that she's also theologian in residence here at Granite Springs Church. On this episode, we talked about the paradox that Psalm 22 introduces of how we might feel or how the psalmist feels and reality. We talked about how Jesus is the lamenter par excellence. And I even asked Libby towards the end how we should think about the Gospels and their interaction with this psalm. I really enjoyed this conversation. You get to enjoy Libby kind of in her expertise, which is a wonderful thing that we're grateful for. So to get us going, here's Libby reading Psalm 22. For the director of music to the tune of The Doe of the Morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. 
for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Libby, welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thank you for having me. Always fun. The listener can't see you, obviously, but you are bobbing with a psalm energy here that uh, is particularly joyful to witness. Well, this has been particularly, ironically, because it's a lament, has been particularly joyful to explore. So thanks for the opportunity. Well, I'm glad it's been joyful for you. I find it, it's been kind of daunting to me. So I'm happy to have a very equipped and uh, knowledgeable guide along to help us navigate through these questions. And the listener should know. We have the same three questions, but today, for the first time in the history of the Curious Psalms podcast, there is a twist where Libby has recommended we take the questions in a different order, and of course, I am very willing to follow Libby's lead. Well, let's go ahead and just dive right in. This first question is always broad. It feels like there's about a million things that we both could probably say, but Libby, I'm fascinated to hear what stood out to you in reading Psalm 22. Yeah, so like you said, this psalm is intense. Uh, Your dad, when we were talking to him about it yesterday, he called it brutal. It's just the imagery here. It's a lot of suffering, and it's vivid suffering. We see that the psalmist, David, seems so close to death that dogs are encircling him, and not like to play with him and cuddle him, but because they feel like there's (laughs) about to be some fresh meat to devour. And he just, he's skin and bones, and he's just crying out this extreme language, feeling like, feeling like God has forsaken and left him and abandoned him, and then at the same time recognizing God never abandons his people. So I think the, mm-hmm. the intensity of the language and the imagery is perhaps the first thing that struck me. And then the second thing that struck me is it seems a little all over the place. I feel like when we're reading this, it's like a roller coaster. We always yes. have... We always have address and complaint and petition and trust in these lament psalms, but he's like back and forth from address to trust to complaint to petitions, more trust. And I just feel like we're on a wild ride that kind of matches that intensity. Yeah, I resonate with that so much. At one point in my notes, I'd written down, this is a roller coaster of a psalm. (laughs) It is like there's even a little bit of whiplash going back and forth, uh, which is, I mean, maybe something for us to reflect on more, but I totally... I totally get that. Yeah, the image is stark. I was, one of my notes says, so many animals. There's just animals everywhere. Here. Yeah, yeah. You know? Lions and bulls and oxen and yeah. dogs. There's even, there's, I mean, in this case, I guess it's referencing to the, the psalmist themselves, but there's even a worm. I am a worm. Oh, right? yeah. Not a man. So <laughs> it's just, it's kind of a fascinating thing. You know, I don't know that we've seen that much animal imagery <laughs> as a constant thing, but the the bestiality of these foes, right? And these yeah, kind of the finality that these animals are maybe anticipating mm-hmm. here really stands out. Yeah. I was really intrigued, too, by the ways that uh, closeness felt like a theme. Proximity felt like kind of a theme that came up mm-hmm. over and over. So in verse 1, one of the questions is, why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Verse 11, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. Even verse 12 and 16 the image of, well, God is far, but who is near? It's the bulls who encircle, and then the dogs who surround. And then again in verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. That language is maybe, it's easy for it to become just sort of part of a 
kind of subculture vernacular, right? Where we say, God, be close to me. Mm -hmm. Or I want to be close to you, maybe, is a, a common thing we might say as well. But the way this psalm takes something that might be uh, a normal piece of language that we might use in our relationship with God and makes it so deeply visceral, mm. right? So yeah. there's a desperation to it here that really grabbed me as I started to look at it as well. So Yeah, desperation is so key. Yeah, and that nearness and farness really underscores that desperation. That's so true. Well, let's move to our second question, Libby, as we think about this psalm, which today, listeners, <laughs> our second question is, how does this psalm help us to pray? Yeah. So, I mean, it comes right off of that, that nearness and farness issue, right? So the psalmist feels like Mm. God is far away. He feels like God has left him, forsaken him. But then in verse 24, he says, you've not despised or scorned the suffering. You've not hidden your face. God doesn't do that. So we have this kind of paradox between how the psalmist feels and reality. Mm. And so one of the ways that encourages me when, when I'm praying is sometimes what we feel is not reality. Sometimes we feel things that aren't true, but we nonetheless feel them. And these kind of laments invite us to bring those feelings, even if they don't you know, reflect reality, to God and, and that he's willing to listen. So I have some examples to make it concrete. One, so, and I know a lot of people probably in different fields have felt this, but the imposter syndrome, right? Where you feel like I'm an imposter, Everyone's going to find out that I'm not really a good professor or fill in the blank, right? And that's, I, I recognize that that's irrational. You know, God has gifted me, called me. I work hard at what I do. I'm not an imposter, but that feeling is there. And so these laments, mm. you know, invite us to bring those feelings, even if they aren't true. Or another one, and I don't know how many mothers struggle with this, but I struggle with pregnancy guilt. Anything wrong that happens to my kids, even if they get a bad score on an exam, I think, maybe it was something I did while I was pregnant with them. Maybe I ate too many donuts or I I overexerted myself (laughs) and and that's why they are suffering from XYZ. It couldn't have been donuts. It couldn't have been donuts. That's not possible. (laughs) I don't think so either. But it's irrational, but it's a feeling. And I don't have to just bury that feeling or pretend it's not there, but I can bring it to God. And, And so that's one of the the ways that I think this hmm. psalm helps us to pray. I love that, Libby. I, you know, one thing I appreciate this about what you're saying is it's also the fact that you know it's irrational, and yet you can still bring that to God, uh-huh. right? And that's something that we're seeing in the psalmist. The psalmist is having this experience, also knows these other truths. That's part of the roller coaster of the psalm, I think. You know, as we were even talking about, we move back and forth from this really visceral experience that is full of desperation to the psalmist's knowledge of a greater reality. But the fact that we can bring, even when we know that what we are experiencing might not be grounded in reality, that we can still bring the fullness of what we experience there is a really, I think, freeing and beautiful way to invite people into prayer. In other words, we can bring our full selves. There's not just the self sort of our reality self and our emotional self, but we can bring our whole our whole person. I was I was thinking too, and I think this ties in really well with what you're saying, just this psalm I think allows us to pray as a journey. In other words, we don't have to have arrived at prayer. Let me flesh that out a little bit more maybe. I think sometimes it's easy to think that either prayer is the desperate cry or it is the final thanksgiving. 
Mm-hmm. And the reality of our lives is we live usually somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are on our way, right? And so this psalm to me just so much embodies sort of the journeying. And it is almost like a process prayer. that This person is going through this and they're doing all the things that we would encourage people in really dire circumstances to do. Remember the promises of God. Remember his faithfulness. Hold on to him. And, and yet they're still crying out. And it's that movement and this kind of continually moving back and forth that I think reminds me that we can journey through our prayers. There's almost a stream of consciousness feel to it, too, which I think I think both these things, the psalm, psalm really is inviting us into kind of a freedom of prayer, I think. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I love the metaphor of a journey, too. And, mm. and I feel like sometimes we, we too often think that if our prayers aren't perfect, like the prayers that you construct... Yeah for church, for the prayers of the people, (laughs) then then we should feel guilty about not praying very well. And this is, of course, a perfect prayer, but it represents that stream of consciousness, that journey, that wrestling back and forth with what's real and what what Mm -hmm. feels real to the psalmist. So we've talked about what stood out to us a little bit. We've talked about how the psalm helps us to pray. So now let's move to, for today, our third question. What do we learn about God from this psalm? Yeah. So the reason I wanted to to finish with this, because Jesus uses words from Psalm 22 on the cross, and it's obviously a climactic moment in in the Christian story, right? So I just thought that that would be a cool climax to our conversation. It'd be hard to follow that up, right? (laughs) 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 Yeah, sure. And also Jesus is modeling for us how to lament. So that kind of continues on the, Hmm. the other question. But I would say we learn about God the Father or God the Trinity in general, just that we can bring our whole selves, like you said, to God. So these laments assume a relationship's already there, and they invite us to deepen that relationship and be more authentic with that relationship. But Jesus in particular, we learn about him being the lamenter par excellence. When he uses the words Mm. from verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me on the cross? And most of the, or at least two of the synoptic gospels, He's calling to mind this whole thought world of Psalm 22 and the whole world of lament. So it's not so much that Psalm 22 is a prophecy about Jesus. It had an independent life for a thousand years where no one was thinking about a Messiah. They're they're thinking about their suffering, right? They're using this to lament. But that Jesus has shaped his whole crucifixion and and the gospel writers have shaped that around Psalm 22 and around this idea of lament. Uh, So that's how they're kind of painting that picture. So it helps us to read his crucifixion to understand what's happening in Psalm 22. So I think that's... Mm. This is kind of another question. You know, as as I read this psalm, there's so much that brings to mind the crucifixion. There's so much about it that feels like it has almost a prophetic quality. And part of my question is just I'm curious how you would suggest we think about that and engage with it. When, I, when we sort of hear the insults, right, about uh, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him. There's echoes of the people saying to Jesus, right, as he's hanging there on the cross, like, let the Lord deliver him. There's the those, the lots that are cast. There's there's so much about this psalm that has these, it's, it's almost a real resonance with the crucifixion scene. But I'm tracking with you what you're saying is it was used in the life of the people of Israel for, for yeah, hundreds of years without necessarily a clear vision to that. But how do we look back on this psalm in light of kind of the events that we know and think about it in that way? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So I think when the gospel writers were writing uh, their account, they recognized that Jesus saw his work on the cross in light of lament and in light of Psalm 22. And so they chose to 
paint the scene with language from Psalm 22. That was actually appropriate to what was happening. So they're talking mm. about how Jesus was mocked, people hurled insults at him, and shook their heads at him. Those three things are repeated verbatim. That's straight out of Psalm 22. But it's the gospel writers who are pointing back and saying, hey, do you remember how David was lamenting? Do you remember how God's people have been lamenting like this for a thousand years? This is Jesus mm. fulfilling that, filling that up. And he has all the reason to lament, right? He's suffering innocently for our sins, whereas David and everyone suffering since is suffering justly for their own sins, right? Oh, that's that's super helpful. I love your use of the phrase filling that up, sort of bringing the fullness of the lament to the psalm. I, w I wonder, now I'm, I'm I'm turning into interviewer here. This is supposed to be conversation, but I'm like, I've got Libby on the line. Quick, let me ask her all my Psalm 22 questions. As we think about what we learn about God from the Psalm, we have Jesus as lamenter par excellence. I love that, the way you said that. Like, what does it mean as we look to Jesus that God laments as we think about Jesus uh, being divine? Like, there's a there's a particular poignancy to that, it seems to me, as well. Absolutely. And I mean, we see God kind of, you know, we see this emotional grief side when he sees Israel's sin. And we see this kind of like wounded husband imagery uh, from a, an adulterous wife. So we see that in, in mm, Yahweh, yeah, the Old right. Testament. And then, and then we see, yeah, and then Jesus so clearly is lamenting as the as the god man yeah it shows an empathy and i think too of hebrews 2 where it's emphasizing the humanity of christ um and talking about how he suffered in every way like us so that he could atone for every mm. so he, this isn't he's experiencing the suffering that we experience i think that's meaningful one of the things i was thinking about was the fact that one of the challenges of psalm 22 going back to the paradox of our feelings and our reality is that God allows us to feel at times, verse one and verse two, the sense of forsakenness, mm -hmm. right? And I don't, I don't have great sort of theological answers to why. I'd prefer that he didn't. I'd prefer, and I trust, you know, part of the invitation is to trust that he, he can work and redeem all things. But I think the, the ways that Jesus is taking this psalm and filling it up, to use your phrase again, is, is a great reminder that even though we are allowed to have these kinds of experiences, God not only doesn't abandon us, there's not only the reality that he, he isn't far from us despite our experience, but also that he knows exactly what, what it is that we experience because of Jesus. And there's going back to sort of the closeness and farness, there, there's an experienced closeness of that experience that we see in the God-man, right, in Jesus himself. Yeah, and I don't want to get into too sticky of a theological discussion, but I think it pertains a lot to how we view the Trinity and atonement, because I think Jesus here is is citing this psalm just like the psalmist was. He feels like God has left him. He is really feeling yeah. that feeling, but God the Father has not forsaken the Son. So I would disagree with theologians who say that because Jesus bore the sins of the world, God therefore had wrath against Jesus himself or turned his face away from Jesus like that popular awful worship song that I hope we don't sing. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron, <laughs> listen carefully to Psalm 22. Because what we see with Jesus' quotation is that that's how he feels. He genuinely feels that forsakenness that humans feel from time to time. And yet God never truly forsook him, even on the cross. Yeah, I, there is, there's no debate with your point there, Libya. I think that's that's okay. the richness that Psalm 22 gives us, right? When we hear 
when we hear the full context of the psalm and we recognize that Jesus isn't just doing a little bit of proof texting and pulling something out of context, but is pointing us back to the fullness of the psalm, I think it's that's almost the only conclusion we can draw. So it feels like maybe this is a beautiful place to pause. We could talk about this psalm and there's elements of this psalm that we could explore for many, many conversations. But as we just have one, unless there's a last word, Libby, that you would like to contribute. Oh, there's so much I was excited about this psalm for. Uh, Okay, I just want to call dibs on Psalm 31, okay? Because those are the other words that Jesus uses on the cross. Luke says, records him saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So I've been yeah. really stoked about that. So if if you don't have anyone else who wants to come for Psalm 31, I will humbly volunteer to, to crash the party. <laughs> Livy, you're booked. Consider yourself booked for Psalm 31. I'll make a note. That would be really fun to talk more about that as well. Well, friends, one of the wonders of this psalm is its movement, is the ways that it both has in mind the individual's lament, and it also has in mind this grand picture of God's rule over the nations. And so to conclude, let's end with these words, these kind of glorious words of hope and joy that we find in verse 26 and then verse 31 as well. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Go out and pray the Psalms.